0: Hi everyone. This is Alien Talk Podcast. This is where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are your hosts, Joe Landry and Nori Olford, here with you again for another engaging, enlightening, and entertaining episode that helps expand all of our knowledge. Thank you for joining us and we want to help. Uh, we want to welcome you to episode numero 60. That's right. Today marks the 60th time that Alien Talk Podcast has come to you across the world wide web as we explore the manifold topics surrounding the idea of extraterrestrial life and the mystery of UFOs, encounters, and other paranormal occurrences. And for today's show, we're going to delve a little more into the deeper philosophical matters about the belief in aliens. Some might even say it's sort of akin to apologetics and that arguments are being made to defend a type of belief. But what we want to do is really analyze and debate certain particular points about the ancient astronaut theory to find out how justifiable it is to be postulated as a scientific theory. And we'll do that by comparing it to the position of atheism, which uh, may actually serve as the null position to help us better examine why some people do think that there were ancient aliens. And to contribute to this discussion, we have a special guest joining us. So hello there, Laurie. Uh, It's great to be back again. And if you would, please go ahead and give the introduction.
1: Yeah, hey, Joe. Yeah, sure. Today, uh, we have the pleasure of welcoming back uh, Ryan uh, to the program. Some of you may know him from our two episodes where, you know, what we did um, about a year and a half ago that covered the possible extraterrestrial connections to Mormonism. And if you haven't already, check out those two episodes because we elaborate on some pretty insightful stuff on them. And they're definitely worth listening to. So, Ryan, uh, we're really glad to have you back. Uh, thanks for being here or should I say thanks for having us here because we're hanging out in your backyard and I'm smoking a, a Fat Bottom Bitty cigar and we're drinking a 10-year-old glass of scotch.
2: Well, thanks, Laurie. I'm uh, actually sharing this uh, nice uh, Dominican Republic uh, church show with you and I really appreciate having back. back. Uh, guys, I love your podcast. You guys have really created a, a great space here for like-minded people to find an hour of their time, they can just find some peace and joy and, and just discussing these really interesting topics. You guys are doing a great job.
1: Yeah, and uh, the last time you were here, along with uh, Mike, um, who also had a lot to contribute to the show, you explained how you came to the decision several years ago to leave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints after being a part of it for uh, your entire life. So if you would, briefly share with us some of the reasons and some of the factors that influence you to make that choice and you know where where does that leave you in terms of your personal faith and you know also tell us you know your thoughts about the possibility of aliens
2: you know transitioning out of a out of any religion is very difficult and you know everything good about the mormon faith is is not unique all the teachings and practices of love and forgiveness kindness charity service you know their their, their family unit you know, all the hard work ethic that they teach all those, all those values can be found in any religion and you don't even need religion to have those. But on the contrary, the teachings and practices are, that are unique to Mormonism weren't good. They have a long history of polygamy and blandery, misogyny, a lot of patriotic submission. They have a lot of policies against the LGBT community. You know, there's a lot, there's a very strong shame culture there too for you know, worthiness and chastity. A lot of basic rights issues and obvious biases against minorities and women. You know, the the goal in Mormonism is to become likened to a god. And that Mormon god is described as a white you know, man. And I just had a hard time uh, relating to that the older I got. Also, the church has billions of dollars. And I had a hard time watching them collect the widow's mite every single week when they really didn't need it. So it just came down to the t- integrity issue. I just wanted to be a good person without having... To worry about a god or a devil, and my moral standard I thought was just higher than that religion. Um, so in terms of my personal faith, Lori, I, I would think if you want to label me, I'm probably just an ethical atheist. I, I just try to do good and not harm other people and not harm myself, and and hopefully we can expand on that a little bit more tonight. um But I find it much more. And then you know your alien astronaut theory is I find that it, it's great. Um. I really enjoy talking about it i find that the cognitive dissonance is a lot less with this than any other religion i've talked about or believing in the god so um it's it's a very great topic thank you for having
0: me that's a pretty remarkable um story there so you know when we when you get into matters about religion you know you can easily find yourself in some treacherous waters uh, accepting it can provide you with a sense of inner peace, you know, spiritual fulfillment, self-completion uh, through belief in something unseen and enigmatic, uh, even with the inherent uh, uneasiness that comes from that. I mean, remember, Karl Marx uh, once called religion the opiate of the or the opium of the masses and challenging it, challenging religion can bring turmoil, uh, not only within the individual psyche. But also to a person's, uh, social experiences manifesting in, you know, conflict, you know, on the lower end of the scale, this can cause us to encounter, you know, intense disagreements with other people, uh, even ostracization by family and friends. And on the higher end, we have seen that, you know, and blow up in, in full scale wars uh, that can actually result. So it's certainly a very powerful cultural phenomenon. Uh, one might even say that religion, I mean, any religion, is the most important thing to a person, even for one who doesn't believe in it. Uh And that is because the idea of God, however that is defined by a person, simply permeates our thinking. In some ways, almost like uh, an innate fixation that we all have. So uh why do you guys think that is? Why is the belief in a higher power, a supernatural power, uh so prevalent and so potent within the minds of people that many are willing to die for it?
2: Well, you know, religion provides some very basic needs for the human race. Um, you know, one of them being a community, you know, being part of a tribe is very important to our survival. We are, you know, we're a pack animal that depends on each other for, for all other talents, you know, and other people's knowledge so we can live comfortably and survive, you know, day to day. You know, also provides a structure, kind of like what we were, when you alluded to Karl Marx was alluding to his. Life is so much easier when you're told what to do, where to go, what to eat, you know, who your friends are, who your enemies are. You know, all those decisions are made for you because you have this belief system. And the last I think other is just it provides answers. You know, it provides answers to the unknown. And that terror management that we have with the knowledge that we have the basic knowledge of death, the unknown question. Of what happens you know what happens at death and so that religion provides answers to help us curb that terror and also all those gaps of knowledge that we have that's that's what i think that why people hold on to religion so tightly
1: yeah well i believe it's because religion has brainwashed us for thousands of years i mean every religion out there believes strongly that theirs is the true one i mean I mean, those who refuse to convert or submit to it, you know, particularly the uh, Abrahamic religions like Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, uh, are punished somehow. So but those who are willing to die for their beliefs are so are doing so because they are brainwashed into fearing God such such that the eternal consequences of their faith matter more, far more than their you know mortal lives here on earth. Because as it was uh, Matthew five thirty. Uh, it says that the, or it comes to mind with Jesus saying, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know, it's better because it's better to, you know, uh, lose, lose it and, and go to heaven with one hand than keep it and go to hell with both of them. And so when people believe this strongly and this passionately, um, there really can be a harmonizing, there really can't be a harmonizing peace, not, you know, not as long as religion is. It
0: yeah it's something that has an impact on everyone you know aside from all the myriad approaches to theology and cosmology since we're all faced with the same questions as well as the same dilemmas you know such as how does one believe in a god that is so benevolent and so powerful that he can incarnate himself as a human to die for the sins of everyone and and also heal some people of blindness and ebergene but doesn't eradicate a pandemic And it all comes down to uh, very basic premises, Uh, regardless of how a person describes his or her faith or how he or she interprets, you know, these stories about miracles. The basic premises are, how did we get here? Why are we here? What's the meaning of our lives? Do we have some kind of greater purpose? Do we have a soul? And the big one, um, does our soul continue on after we die? And if so, where does it go? is uh, this is all very problematic. Uh, there There is no one single explanation that can be shown as true by way of any em- empirical methods. Uh, no one person or no one group can assert their beliefs as being more defensible than any other, since we lack the evidence to validate any of them. So it comes down to being just a matter of faith. Um, that means it can be believed as true without having being demonstrated as true. And this is different from Science. In which something uh, is believed to be true because it is proven to be true repeatedly, proven multiple times by disinterested observers who have no stakes in the results, and also must be upheld against any kind of null hypotheses. So, with that, Ryan, from uh, the position of an atheist, and do you think a belief can be justified without it being demonstrated? Um, you know, through empirical methods. And now this would be taking the metaphysical view, mind you, uh, that transcendental, called transcendental idealism, idealism, something that was proposed by philosophers like Plato, uh, René Descartes and Immanuel Kant, in which an object is said to be real because of the perceptions of it within the mind Uh, is God real for the sole purpose that he exists as a deeply embedded construct within our thought processes.
1: We'll be back after a quick break.
2: Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at hiss and Tell. Wow, Joe that's. A, that was, that's a lot. Um, we could just do a whole podcast on that, just your last statement there. Um, do Do I think that a belief can be justified without it being demonstrated? and I'll, I'm to say no. Um, you know, I can believe that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Okay. And I can have all the faith and belief in that, but it's because I'm lacking knowledge of why we have chocolate milk. Yeah. We, I know that milk comes from cows, but we, it's so, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a lack of knowledge, not a, a a great faith that this is what I believe in. Um, you know, so faith is just assuming and guessing of, 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 a lack of knowledge you, ha- you only have a piece of the puzzle and it's it's very dangerous mindset and that's why we have that's why we have wars and we have genocides and we're unable to make new decisions with uh, new information so we get new we get new information and we can't tr- transition to that new mindset it's very difficult um people hold on to their core beliefs very strongly you know it's almost a, a fight or flight mindset when all of a sudden you believe something different than your tribe in your community and you no longer have that protection, that structure. Um, it's very scary. I I, I did it. You know, leaving the Mormon church was a very scary thing and it was hard to do. Um but it's 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 I think it's just is learning new things and being able to change. So faith is faith is not concrete. Faith is a is a magical
1: mindset that's it's, it's very dangerous. Yeah, I mean well, faith is true to the person who believes in God, right? So, I mean, they can't prove faith, their faith to anybody else. So they can't take, um, you know, something scientific can explain why we're here or why we exist, you know, our true origins and, and, and all that sort of thing. But with faith, that is only real to the person like myself. Like, I believe in the ancient alien theory. So that's real to me and it's real to many other people. Uh Mormonism is real to to others like yourself. Used to, you know, you you were dead sick because when we first met each other way back when we were like pretty much rookies. I mean, you had two, two or three years on as a cop before I did. And uh we 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 tried to convert each other. I tried to get you to be an evangelical Christian, become Pentecostal while you tried to uh convert me to Mormonism. You even showed up in my yard one time and laid out a bunch of rocks with a bunch of your you know, Mormon church guys. And, uh, you know, and you gave me the book of Mormon and, you know, but that was your thought process back then because you were so, because you were brainwashed and I think you can agree that you were brainwashed into the Mormon church and, you know, that's what you believe. So, yeah. So, but you can elaborate more, Joe. Well,
0: just, um, something we should clear up, uh, about, uh, atheism in that it is not a rejection of the belief in God. I think uh, people hold to the uh, supernaturalism, okay, Christians in particular. And we look at someone who, or or they look at someone who is an atheist and will impute upon them the behavior of denying the existence of God and denying the belief that Jesus is God. And just refusing to ever change their minds on that. That's sort of the attitude that a lot of uh, Christians I've heard say about atheists. Um, and they say their hearts are hardened, uh, as they will say, under the persuasion of the devil. But atheism does not uphold a positive claim. It is not the rejection of God or human defiance of his will. It is merely stating that with the lack of evidence that can uh, d- 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 can be used to support a belief in God, uh, that that lack of evidence or that that evidence that's there, it's not substantial. We don't have enough evidence to justify the belief Uh, in God, and it's not justified through any of the methods of uh, epistemology. So, in other words, it cannot be known as truth through objectivism, but only through personal and individual experiences perceived by the mind. And those, of course, can't be proven as something tangible within our reality. Now, interestingly enough, even the New Testament mentions something about this in 1 Peter 3.15, where it says to Uh, Be ready to answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have. So, Ryan, what do you think about people's religious beliefs? Um, You know, you may have touched on this already, but are they just a a whole lot of cognitive dissonance among the masses? Or or do you think that it represents something on a much deeper, you know, say, unconscious level, Uh, as St. Augustine hinted in his work, Confessions?, that uh, God is more intimate to me than I am to myself. Why do you think people hold on to this the way they do?
2: Well, hey, thanks for clearing that up. You know, the word atheist has really been vilified over the centuries. Um, yeah, I think mainly because it, it threatens the belief system of the of the community of the tribe. So you're you're really challenging the belief system of, you know, of the church or the, you know, the government or whatever. Um, and and that's a um. So there's there's a lot of a. Like the tax systems, they they they're going to kick you out of they're going to kick you out of the group. They're going to kick you out of the community. So, I I think that's why it's been vilified over the years. And and you're right. uh, Atheism is is not a a denial. It's just that we just I want proof. I want I want to be able to see with my hand, see with my eyes, touch it with my hands, and be able to say that it's real. You know, religious belief systems um provide a great form of self esteem. You know you have an identity there that you can say like just saying like you're a child of God um that you that you're right in your beliefs and that you have certain feeling entitlement is that you have you're entitled more than everybody else um, it really builds a lot of joy and a lot of purpose in your life knowing that you're right that you have this right system that you no longer have to dwell on the ultimate demise of death because not having that is a terrible place to be. You know, having living in an external you know existential dread that's looming over you every second of the day that's an awful place to be um that's 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 extreme anxiety extreme depression and that's why I feel that man and, and we've created in our communities uh this distraction you know with rituals and art and music and our belief systems and all forms of entertainment I mean even alcohol and drugs all these things are are built so we are distracted from the ultimate end which is death
0: I know what you mean. Um, yeah, so you you refer to the ancient astronaut theory as, as a form of faith. Um, and I one time we talked, to, you, you mentioned about um, you know something is filling in the gaps that when you have faith that you're trying to fill in the gaps of your knowledge, and, and the, the the phrase that has been used to describe. Uh, you know, the need of theology and explaining that which is unknown or at least uh, unknown as yet is, is called God of the gaps. And that refers to the mental processes by which any um, lapse or any, you know, basically a gap uh, missing part of human understanding. It has to be attributed to being the work of God and hence cannot be explained because it is a divine mystery. Um, and if we fail to fully comprehend something like, you know, quantum duality and the, the characteristics of the electron, we can simply attest that to being a manifestation of the glory of God, and it's a mystery. Um, but does that mean that we should stop pondering and stop asking questions as to, you know, what might be possible? Uh, is there evidence of something like extraterrestrial encounters being made with humanity back in the ancient past? And if so, should we not follow that and see where it takes us? Um, that's not the same approach to learning about something that is found in a belief through faith uh, in which there is no proof that is demanded in order to accept it. So I, I don't really see the ancient alien theory as being something uh, taken on faith any more than atheism is something taken on faith as both seek to test beliefs in order to be demonstrated empirically, uh, and that is meaning with, with physical evidence.
2: Yeah, it's it's really hard to be comfortable saying that. You know, but by, by saying I don't know, you know that statement is is a difficult thing to say and to be comfortable with. Like I just don't know. Um, you know, we are problem solvers, so of course we should always be looking for answers to unknown questions. And what is the origin of man? Well, the answer might be aliens, or astronauts, um, or it could just be a natural evolution of the human race. Um, and if we stop asking questions and searching for answers, then to this day, we would still believe that thunder was like leprechauns bowling in the in the, in the sky, right? So, but now, what? But what we do through science and through you know um, study and, and asking questions. We understand why we have thunder and that you know, Zeus isn't throwing lightning bolts. We understand that how what creates lightning in, in the weather. Um, you know, the the difficult thing about being an a- atheist is is being comfortable with not knowing the answers. And not to assume that any of the answers that we have right now are right. Cause, because some of the things that we, we, that we believe in now were, were not true in the past. And some of the things that we believe are true might, might not be true in the future. Because as we gain more knowledge. Um, we, so we don't know if we're right or wrong, even as we, we're sitting here right now. Um, there's a kind of an analogy I'd like to share is, is if you are a judge... And you received all the evidence in a trial, and you convicted a man of being guilty of murder with all the evidence that you had. And let's say five or six years later, um, a a new form of evidence or knowledge came about, like DNA, which is relatively new in, in our court system. And now they can bring this evidence forward and reopen the case and show the judge, like, hey, we can prove that this man is innocent with DNA, new knowledge. It would be ridiculous if that judge said no. The decision's already been made. even with this new knowledge, we cannot. You know, so we have to change our minds. When we get new knowledge, we have to be open to change our minds,
0: make new decisions, yeah, and that's what science uh, demands is that when new knowledge is available to change the model uh, that you have. I mean our our model of you know the the universe of the earth, of the atmosphere, the oceans uh, has changed uh, quite a bit, especially in the last. Uh, you know 100 200 years um yeah it that is exactly sort of the essence of science uh, otherwise yeah you're talking about religion which refuses to accept new information it the old beliefs remain despite um new information
1: well it's like what i said earlier is uh he is real because of someone's faith but um he has not proven to be so so There is no sound evidence that he exists in the traditional views we have of him or them today. Um, Now, some will say that even though we can't see the wind, well, we know it's there because we can see the effects of it. Now, this is what Christians use in accordance with Scripture verses in Hebrews 11 and 1, which says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen, such
0: as the wind. Yeah. So, Ryan, you said one time when we were talking, it made me think of what was um, given by Friedrich Nietzsche, who's the 19th century German existentialist, uh, known famously for the proclamation, God is dead. And that is, uh, people have the need to follow others who possess the charisma to lead. And and in his work uh, titled Thus Spoke Zarathustra." Uh, Nietzsche illustrates that humans have an innate drive to follow groups, even if these groups uh, bring about their own dem- deception and their own demise. Now, you said that it is true. You know, one time you, we were talking, you said it's through rituals, uh, groups uh, forming a meeting or form meaning to your existence uh, through rituals. And that individuals who identify with a particular group that fits their needs to find some kind of purpose. And you alluded to that purpose being the ability to achieve inner peace especially with the reality of death, knowing uh, that we are all going to die. And and that is you know, through believing by faith through the per- participation of rituals that people succumb to this delusion uh, that there is more to our existence after we die, of course, of which we, we don't have that uh, confirmation at all that we're all not certain of anything that happens after we, we die because we weren't, we're not there. Uh, no one's ever come back. So, uh, do you think that th- this means a religious life is nothing more than a life of collective deception within the group? In, in this case, uh, that group being the church?
2: Well, I, I'm saying it's because of death that we have religion. and We have rituals and we have entertainment and we have science and we have farming and we have all of it. It's, death is the great motivator of this human species. And, and take a moment to ponder about that and really, really think about it. Everything we do on this earth is because we die. Every great invention, every great accomplishment is because of death. It's 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 the reason why we're we live so strongly. Um it's we have man has tried to defy death at every possible angle. We tried to defeat it by being famous, um, by having families and children, trying to just like trying to leave our mark on this world so no one will forget us. It's kind of like if you know if you don't know the answer why why people do things, it's probably because their their terror management skills are dead. That's what motivates them to be famous or to to work hard or or to do these things. Because if if you don't stay busy and and have a goal in life and have purpose, then you fall back on your existential dread and you dwell on how insignificant and fragile your life is, and there will there'll be no point to live. And so you, you just distract yourself. You know, you feed your hobby, you you feed some great invention or some, um, some, sometimes that scientific thing to help solve, and help humanity. You know, everything that we do as a human race is managing the terror of dying. Um, And everyone has their own answers. So we can survive just one more day. And you know, we, 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 we create these, we create these, these amazing, like psychological fortitudes in our mind that, Help us believe in like life after death. We create heavens. We create reincarnations. We, we create uh, resurrections, and even the point of this podcast is to keep us busy in such a knowledge that we're we're lacking, so that do we don't come you know consumed in our thoughts of not existing. Anymore?
0: Well said.
1: Well, you know uh, that's that's where religion comes into play. So religion gives us that hope. Jesus Christ. Gives us the hope. Um, it goes back to the very beginning, the Adam and Eve story. You know, uh, when when they sinned, um, the Bible says, "Well, you shall ch- surely die." This is what the serpent told uh, Eve, because Eve knew that she would surely die if she ate of this, you know, forbidden fruit or whatever. But the serpent said to her, "No, you will live." Which means that you know they would develop a consciousness and, and all that sort of thing. So ever since then, the main goal of humanity, I believe, has been to to uh, obtain eternal life or a life of longevity, that uh, a life of the gods. And they didn't understand uh, immortality because they thought the gods lived forever, but really the gods didn't live forever. The gods just had lo- uh, lives that extended. Into the thousands of years. And like you and I, Ryan, have talked uh, a little bit about the Sumerian Kings List. Joe and I have talked about the Sumerian Kings List several times on on the program. And these guys, there's actual documentation of these guys living to be in the thousands. And, and I mean, not the biblical patriarch thousands, but thousands of years, uh, like tens of thousands of years. Um, so it all back to, you know, where God is. You know, God is the real person who believes, if he's real to the person who believes in him wholeheartedly. And he's not actually proven to be, you know, God, uh, as we believe uh, in through the traditional views. So.
0: And I think that leads us to the question of the nature of God. Uh, you know, what do we mean when we speak of him? Uh, could God be less of an anthropomorphic entity? Um, you know, it's suggested by Baruch Spinoza, the Dutch philosopher. Uh, but more like what we called uh, something self-caused substance, something like a universal type of intelligence that pervades everything to include all life forms, uh, something that it, it not exhibits personal relationship as found in Christianity, but something that's more like the force from the movie Star Wars, um, something that is integral with the whole cosmos and is more like an energy uh, that is manifested in everything from the tiniest atom to the largest galaxy. So could it be that God is merely a construct of our epistemology? Uh, perhaps something that is really nothing more than an ideal, you know, symbolized in metaphysical form, like Plato's ideal of perfection and beauty and goodness. Uh, maybe it's even our own innate way of to say, you know, personify nature or personify the whole universe. Um, do you guys think that's a possibility, Ryan?
2: Well, in short, no. <laughs> I mean, this is what you just described, Joe. It's just a, another terror management skill that we have of death. So we, we define God in all these different ways to help us, you know, manage the inevitable of not existing.
1: Well, that could, that could be, Joe. Um, but like I said, we can't prove the God of any religion exists. So, you know, how can we prove Plato's idea? Uh, right now, we think of the Force in Star Wars as being an idea of fiction in a science fiction movie. However, who's to say that the Force does not exist in some form or another, right? Um, maybe we haven't discovered it yet, or maybe we have, uh, like through our consciousness and you know, haven't yet uh, fully understood that yet.
0: Well, we do have philosophical arguments for the existence of God. Um, there's the cosmological argument for God, on which St. Thomas Aquinas elaborated in his work Summa Theologica, and that is the universe could not have created itself. It must have a creator or a first cause, an uncaused-caused or an un- unmoved mover, and that transcends the universe on which the existence of all things depend. Uh, then there's the ontological argument for God, Um which was initially employed by Avicenna, who was a medieval Islamic mathematician, and this puts forth the uh, the, uh, the essence of God is is absolute perfection, and that nothing can be conceived as greater than Him. Therefore, necessary existence must also be part of His essence; <laughs> otherwise, it would wouldn't be perfection. And this is a pretty abstract concept, but uh, necessary existence, at least within Aristotelian logic, essentially says that if God is a discrete entity and to theologians he is, he cannot not exist. Since God does have essence, and his essence is perfection, then he must exist out of necessity. Um, then there is the teleological argument for God, sometimes referred to as the watchmaker or the design argument, which proclaims that the universe exhibits an order and a structure and is so wondrous that it must have been designed by something uh, along the lines of a grand architect. Uh this has been also ascribed uh, by Socrates, and, and also by Paul the Apostle in Romans one twenty, where he says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, there are plenty of flaws in these arguments, to be fair, um, and they have come under a lot of criticism o- over the years. But without going too much into that, um, what are your thoughts about... You know, God existing beyond any of our comprehension, any of our any of our conception, and it's you know that conception that w- what we find in the religions of the world. So, in other words, can there be a God of the cosmos that is not the same at all of any of the gods of religion, or the, certainly the God that we're familiar with from uh, the Judeo-Christian Bible?
2: Well, that's kind of a um, kind of an odd question for an atheist, there, Joe. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how to answer that when but i I can't I can't can share this is that I I do feel a real connection with like every person I've met on this earth okay and I do feel a connection with nature and with animals and I but I don't know anything about like one supreme energy force or anything like that um, i I just like to live in the moment and I, I like to know that you know, the garden can be beautiful just because it's a garden and it doesn't have to, I don't have to have this magical mindset that there's fairies in the garden taking care of the garden. I don't, I don't need that. I, and I think it's just be able to live in the moment. Um, you know, there's a very, there's a favorite quote of mine and, and your listeners will have to look up who, who I can contribute this to, but it's like every man has two lives and the second life begins when he realizes he only has one life to live and when you realize that you only have one life, everything, everything becomes bright. And everything becomes more cherished. The time that you spend with your family, your loved ones, the time that you spend what you're going to spend your time on, whether it's your hobbies, your work, your goals, your career, everything's just so much more valuable. It's just like clear, it's sharper. And you just find it easier to like love people, to be kind to people, to forgive people easier. And that no matter if you're the king or the peasant, we all have the same journey. We're all we all we're all born on this earth and we're all gonna die. And so we shouldn't be making it harder for, for one another by having these crazy belief systems thinking that we're better than each other, or or that we have all this magical mindset, you know, like whose whose God is better than whose God, or whose religion is better, who's right, who's wrong. And I think it's just all these belief systems and biases just get in the way of, of creating real relationship and you know, for our fellow human beings.
1: Well, I strongly believe that you know we should definitely reexamine history and look at it from a different perspective altogether instead of the traditional views and the way of uh western uh thinking way of thinking uh scientists and archaeologists astronomers and uh you know christian laymen and um, you know like pastors and priests and bible scholars um you know that we all should consider the many myths. Surrounding visitors who are ancient, ancient, or our ancients tell stories of who descended from the stars. And religious scholars should also think logically about the religious texts and think about these stories with a a very deep and analytical mind. Now, Joe, you mentioned earlier, I think about the first cause, going back to the first cause. So, I mean, even though I believe in the ancient alien theory, um, could there be a being out there, an unseen force? Like the traditional view of God that we've been raised to believe, um, but did he create this universe, but it can't be any of the gods of our earthly religions because they're too much just they those those gods are described too flesh and bloody <laughs> you know um so now that goes into parallel universes. is there a universe outside of this universe where there is a being that created this universe? You know, um, and that could be a possibility because, I mean, look at us. We're humans, but we're so smart that we're now even, um, you know, we've invented that uh, hydron collider, you know, where we smash atoms together. Well, we create a universe that will start off a Big Bang. So, so yeah, so that's that's my take on it.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I've always found problematic about, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas and his uncaused cause is that he goes to like a recession of causes so you have this first cause and that first cause is god raises the question well what created god whatever created god would be a bigger god and the ancient astronaut theory kind of explains that that you know our construct of god is are these um, beings who are extraterrestrial and where do they come from and then whatever brought them about to existence what brought that into existence? So we had this recession of causes that eventually come to this point where um, nothing made something, which is illogical. Um, So yeah, that has been something that's never been answered by this Aristotelian logic of you have a first cause that is uncaused. That Something has to cause something or else it's e- essentially eternal. So that raises the question, could the universe just be the, its own cause? The universe is its own uncaused cause and always has existed and that kind of you know raises the question of you know how, yeah where do we come from how, how did how did this all begin and, and evolution it does provide us with a good model for the diversity of the universe the diversity of you know planets and stars and, and there's just tons of diversity tons of diversity of life on on this planet and there is uh, substantial and reliable evidence to support it uh support evolution as a scientific theory Uh, Natural selection is a concept that was put forward by Charles Darwin and Henry Oxley almost 200 years ago to explain that the characteristic variations with all the species give rise to mutations that take place over long periods of time. Uh, More importantly, it is the ability of a species to adapt to the environments with those characteristics or traits in a way that determines whether or not they survive to have offspring that also carry on those traits. The problem is human beings have evolved and benefited from natural selection uh, infinitely more than any other species on planet Earth. Now, Ryan, you, you do accept the theory of evolution, right, uh, as, as we do, uh, as Lori and I do, and as many people do, uh, even many religious people accept the theory of evolution. But surely you can see that it, it the theory of evolution doesn't pro- uh, preclude the possibility of life existing or life evolving on other worlds.
2: Yeah, it's um, just listening to you really brings in a lot of uh, thoughts. You know, I was—I remember my son told me one time. He said, "You know, Dad, I think I figured it out. Um, in the very beginning, there was two hydrogen atoms just floating in the middle of nowhere, and then God smashed them together, and they started everything." <laughs> so, but hey, you know, I, I do—I do. Evolution provides the most rational explanation of probably where we came from. Um, I, I do—I still do believe that we have a lot to learn, and I doubt that. The, you know, the theory of evolution is perfect to how we understand it now. Um, there's lots of gaps in the timeline. Um, we're always finding new evidences that that changed what we we thought we knew from the past. So, you know, they're they're always finding a a new dig, a, a you know, a new a new ring in the tree somewhere that makes this Earth older than we thought it was, and it just kind of messes up the whole timeline. You know, anything is possible. I guess you know the the odds and probability probably not in our favor to find life in in you know, out in that universe. um, The distance and time possibilities to match up with another species that is just in- on the same intelligence line, is, it's just, it's overwhelming to think about. I mean, there might have been some civilization out there that existed, but did they still exist? Is their time come and gone? Are they extinct now? I don't know. Who knows? But I was thinking maybe the alien astronauts have figured it out, and they uh, they know the timelines. And <laughs>
0: I don't think they have figured it out.
2: <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I don't know either. And that's why I say that's kind of my mantra. I, I don't know. And it's, it's okay. It's okay.
0: That is a fair mantra. And yeah, that's one that I embrace too. Uh, many times people ask me these questions about a lot of things, you know, religion and ancient astronaut theory. And yeah, quite frankly, I don't know. And that is okay. That is an acceptable uh, position in, in, in scientific methodology. I mean, sometimes you, you don't have an answer. You simply just say you don't have the answer, but you don't start making things up just to sort of fill in the gaps.
1: Well, with the ancient alien theory, I mean, we sort of have a creationist insertion into, you know, the natural selection. So we have transmutations occurring over the course of millions and billions of years, but we now also have Homo sapiens being modified through, you know, uh, deliberate genetic hybridization so as to essentially, you know, become a created species. Um, it doesn't get into you know the Bible doesn't get into the big bang or or how life may have started on earth other than what you know God created or you know, but we have the primordial soup through you know science, you know we'll talk about the the primordial soup and uh, those are different matters altogether, but what what it does is put forward a possibility, the ancient astronaut theory, the possibility of how we became what we are as an advanced human race. so, you know, you can believe in creationism of God making the whole universe and still accept the possibility that we are the result of some special type of extraterrestrial uh, genetic engineering. It's it's not an explanation for the origin of cosmos and how everything got here. Um, an extraterrestrial race of beings, whether from the planet Nibiru or anywhere else, for that matter, would have had either to evolve through natural processes on their own world or be created by their God. So it doesn't actually support evolutionism uh, any more than it supports creation. And within evolutionism, we also find the concept of panspermia, uh, which offers a good explanation to how life began on our planet, either by meteor bombardment or by a cataclysmic collision by two planets, which is what I believe happened about four to four and a half billion or so years ago and caused the transfer of two forms of sophisticated bacteria, which are eukaryotes and prokaryotes. Now, could this be what is meant in the Sumerian mythology that planet Nibiru passed life onto uh, planet uh, Tiamat? Um, The earth was, I mean, the Bible says as much with God when it says that God separated the waters from the expanse, right? So the earth was formless and void at the time. And then all of a sudden light appeared and then the waters and dry land appeared and then the sun and the moon and then seeds and then plants and then trees, you know, next to sea creatures and then the birds of the air and then the, the crowling animals and and then humans. So this might just be nothing more than a short and crude synopsis of evolution found in the very first chapter of Genesis.
0: I'm always sort of taken aback when evangelicals uh, say, read the scriptures. Um, we do, uh, we've all read the scriptures, uh, pretty thoroughly and we're consistently finding this, uh, in the translations of the Genesis account. And, and when you read the the Bible, you know, I don't know if a lot of evangelicals have read the entire Bible. I mean, they may read, you know, passages that are given, you know, Bible study or sermons. And a lot of those are cherry picked and when you read the entire bible you you find some pretty strange things i mean you, you have a talking snake you have a talking donkey who like presumably speaks perfect hebrew to uh, absalom <laughs> uh you have a guy living in the belly of a whale for 3 days you have a, a you know a, a sea partying so people can walk across it and these things you know they're pretty mysterious um and they don't make any sense and like we said before they're just taken on faith they're taken on the the power of god um and so and we also don't have the the luxury of reading the original Hebrew text. We have, you know, translations of translations. We have different versions. Um, and we're given these translated transliterated words about, you know, say God creating us in like his or maybe want we'll to say their image, because uh, God is used in the plural in the book of Genesis, and that we're made after his or their likeness. Again, it's in the plural. Why, why the plural? Uh, I thought there was only one God. Well, here we have God referring to himself as, as a plurality. Um, so why aren't we created as the, as only being spirit? If God is just spirit, you know, why aren't we created spirit? Uh, we're created as, as a, as a corporal, uh, entity with a body with flesh and blood. So Ryan, you agree that even if someone, you know, doesn't believe the Bible is the word of God and, but as still, you know, a valuable piece of literature to, to study, um that it it still holds valuable insight into humanity's past do you think that there are some clues that can be extracted from the bible along with some other texts and traditions and artifacts that might shed light on our origins
2: yeah sure i mean i i think you can find slivers of truth in the bible i I've, i i think that we need to really understand you know in in the big picture that the bible is just a very small um collection of writings in the overall human, you know, his, history. And that I, I never understood why, why writings that are labeled scripture are all of a sudden now can't be criticized or corrected and they, and be, and they become literal. Um, like, you know, you were talking about all those, was, you know, this amazing things like snakes talking and seas being split and stuff. I, you know, these, these things were written by men and they were written by, you know, it could be written by men sitting around a table like we're doing tonight. And then, you know, hundreds of years later, people take them as literal truths. But in reality, it's it's a, such a small uh, writing of history of a very small demographic, a very small geographic area of the world in, in, a, in a very small course of time. Um, you know, we have, there's monasteries in Tibet, even the Vatican itself has thousands of Pages and books that have never been translated yet, you know, knowledge that we have no idea. And these things are being protected because I think they're afraid of we have this system of belief system that's controlling the masses that, that have that's being able to keep the terror management that, hey, this is a good story. I just believe in this. And this is going to keep us from, you know, going off the deep end. And we can, and we can progress in our music and our art and our rituals and things. And we can progress with, you know, our, our mankind. but. I don't. I don't think that. Um, so, to answer your question. Yeah, yeah, sure. The Bible. The Bible has some truths in there
1: that we can use. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, the Bible may not be completely correct and full of contradictions and things like that, but it, like you said, Ryan, it does hold some truth. Um, this is because it is based off a much older material, which is based off even older scripts and oral tales. Um, The point is, I mean, we, we can take from it and compare it to others and come up with better explanations of our origins, you know, like uh, investigating crimes, you know, where we gather as much evidence as possible and come to a conclusion as to what happened by a preponderance of the uh, uh, of the evidence of the evidence. Now, the Christian church and any religion for that matter has been deceived and are still being deceived even today. And this goes back to the misinterpretations we have been taught over the thousands of years. Now, let's take um, the the theory on hell as an example. Um, like, uh, remember, I think we had discussion before about how, you know, we we go off of the the material from, say, what Dante's uh, Inferno. Right. You know, it, it that's where we get our ideas of hell, and that came about in the medieval time period. Um, but Jesus, when Jesus was talking and teaching about hell, um, you know, hell is an English word. Well, Jesus didn't speak English. He was, was Arabic. And the word that Jesus used back in that day uh, was Gehenna. And everybody knew who, what Gehenna was back then. So when Jesus was teaching this, everybody knew what he was talking about. Right. He was talking about that garbage dump, that burning pit of gar- garbage that was outside the Jerusalem wall. And this is where the Roman soldiers would, tr- would throw all of the, uh, you know, the dead carcasses of, of the criminals. And they would all, you know, combine them into the fires of Gehenna. And the fires were constantly, you know, burning. And this is where we get the mistranslation over the hundreds and you know, into the thousands of years of the eternal flame, right? Because Gehenna even had gates. I mean, we can look up Gehenna or Gienna now by Google mapping it. And you see that it's just a dried crevice in the earth. But here we are, you know, two thousand years over two thousand years later, you know uh being scared and into believing that you know we're going to go to hell if we you know i like three of us would be going to hell just by talking about what we're talking right now, <laughs> you know so um and the ancient mind they didn't have the understanding of the things that they witnessed, such as the gods who came from the stars and spaceships and you know and things like that, so their interpretations led into the many false and deceptive views that we have in our civilization, you know, both past and present.
0: Yeah, and I have to correct myself. I said Absalom, it was actually Balaam, uh, Balaam's ass. Uh, that's, that's the story of the, the donkey who could speak uh, to the Balaam. Um, but, you know, whether or not someone believes the Bible is the inherent, uh, inherent word of God, um, one thing is for certain, the Bible is the number one bestseller of all time. And maybe that says something. Maybe that's because deep down people have an innate longing to connect with what our ancestors experienced back then, whatever that may be. The, the famous psychologists uh, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung uh, actually believed in something along those lines. And what we all, that we all have like a built-in uh, subconscious level sort of inherited memory that we carry with us through life and archetype. And while they didn't refer to alien beings, they did support the notion that people were born to believe in God uh, because of these stories of the past being so intrinsically woven into our psyche. Uh, The more you look at it, the more it starts to seem like the traditions of all these different cultures may have originated from the same uh, ancient source. So, um, Brian, do you have any thoughts on that?
2: You know, it's... I think... A lot of everything that we're talking about tonight, I, I keep reverting back to these. These are the conversations and the dialogues that we have in our head to help us not think about the ultimate end of not existing. Um, to, tonight's been a great example. We're sitting around this table here, and we're enjoying these great conversations as as a as a, as a wonderful distraction as to whether we believe in Jesus or alien astronauts or or whatever belief system that you might have these these are great conversations that that like we create this like eternal you know psychological fortitude in our mind to protect us from this existential dread and i think that's that's the that's the atheist point of view is that it's we just kind of see it all as is entertainment and it's great. I love it. And whether it's Marvel comics or Star Wars or Alien Agent, all that stuff is just, is, is wonderful stuff to, to dive into. And it's, it's fantastic. And whether we're creating music or, or we're, you know, solving, you know, finding the cure for cancer. And that's, and that's I, I think that's where I wanted to come from tonight is to help you guys understand that, yeah, your, your, your podcast is wonderful. And, but I hope that is it, is it, is it real? Do we have the evidence for this stuff? Or is it just another belief system that we're, we're distracting ourselves with?
0: Corey, what do you think about that?
1: Well, um, I was going to ask you something, Ryan, about uh, what we had talked about earlier, uh, but I can't remember what that was. <laughs> but anyway, um, well, yeah. Uh, okay. So I know that we've been back and forth before with uh, the ancient alien theory and atheism. So, um, if you were, okay, that's what it was. So, I think what we had mentioned earlier was, if you, as an atheist, you find it hard to believe that God exists. But, I think you said that you could, like, it's easier for you to believe in alien life, right?
2: That's, yeah, that's correct. It's, it's easier to believe.
1: Well, it's easier to believe. So, with the ancient alien theory, now I know we've been back and forth on this too before, because I know we've had several debates about it. So with uh, I know you said earlier that it could be a possibility. It does make sense. And make it, It's like a logical explanation, right? As to why we are who we are as a species, the Homo sapiens species, right? Because with atheism, they believe straight up that uh, God does not exist, period. Right? An agnostic like Job believes that, okay, maybe god does exist but there's no proof so either way if he doesn't exist or he does exist it doesn't matter i it could exist but with the ancient alien theory so people like myself that believe in that theory believe that you know there was an intervention so there was there's like many missing cousins and we talked about how there was an overnight uh uh, jump in our in, in our evolution like on a on a evolutionary time scale by millions and millions and millions of years, all of a sudden, it seems like it's overnight that these, uh, you know, our species just became so smart. You know, we now have agriculture and we, we have music, uh, writing. The Sumerian civilization just popped up onto the scene, it seems, and it you know, gave us writing, cuneiform scripts, and they always attribute that to their gods. And like I said earlier too, was that they're you know, they were the first they were the first civilization. And how does the first civilization get a myth? This is what Zachariah Sitchin was was trying to promote. Like how does the very first civilization get myth? Everything that comes after that, you know, will eventually become myth. So what are your what are your thoughts?
0: On this? So, Ryan, I'll, I'll let you comment on that in a minute, but um, I think you'll agree with me. When we talk about, like, you know, atheists, what they believe. It's not so much that they believe there's no God. They just simply uh, don't make a positive claim that the evidence justifies belief in God, which is a little bit different than saying, I, I don't believe, because that, that's a more of a positive claim. And the difference between like, being an atheist and an agnostic, I mean, you're sort of parsing your words. Um <clears throat> I, you know, I tend to identify more as agnostic, even though I, I do, you know, still have a religious aspect of my, re- life, my life, and that's because, you know, there's still many things I don't know, which is ex- what agnosticism is. It's agnostic meaning this Greek word, lack of knowledge, unknowing. Gnosis meaning knowledge, agnosis uh, meaning no, no knowledge or lack of knowledge. So, um, and I think it's just, you know, maybe a personal preference if you want to be called an agnostic or an atheist. I know uh Say atheist uh, has a stigma to it. If, if you tell people who are you know in your family who are religious believers and you tell them you're atheist, well, they're going to look at you like you just said you have stage four cancer. They're not going to be really all that thrilled to hear you say, "Oh well, yeah, you're you're really using your mind there. You're really exploring, you know, you know empirical methods there." They're going to be rather upset because this shocks them to the core. This is something that's very profound to them, very meaningful to them. So uh in terms of you know saying you're if you're atheist or agnostic you just simply deny the existence of god you have no belief i don't think that's that accurate you might have a belief i mean really i think a lot of atheists agnostics still ponder it. we we ponder it quite a bit um it's just that like you mentioned before where is that evidence where is that proof and it's just not there
2: you know i so my reality is based on inputs and my inputs are 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 very simple they're they're the inputs I receive as a human being my body this this body of flesh and bones and blood and it's that i I, re- I receive inputs of sight and sound and i repeat you know i receive inputs of touch and taste just the you know the, the basic five senses and that's what i i can base my life on what's real and to create all these other belief systems that we don't have evidence for. That I can't see, I can't smell, I can't taste, I can't feel them. Those those things become very clouded, and you, you start developing your mind. It has a great imagination, and you start developing all these other, you know, these magical mindsets that help you feel better about your fragile existence on this earth, your insignificance, you know, existence on this earth. Millions of people have come and gone on this earth who've never been documented. And there's so is there really a purpose you know, and so we create these all these religions, all these theories, all these mindsets, all these you know things that in our world to make us feel better about us not existing
0: and that's a that's a fair position to take um and I think it's an honest position and um but we we all have great imaginations and we have minds, and we love to ponder and that's one of Absolutely. that's this we talk about on the show it's Stay curious. Uh, we want to push the limits of our understanding, and and, and just yeah, you know, push what we know, and and push our knowledge the limit of our knowledge. Um, and that means yeah, pondering. It, it, it is yeah, we, we may not have the the evidence that we wish for in proving the existence of God, um, but we definitely wonder about him. Everybody, I, everybody wonders about him. I think every human being wonders about God, whether they follow a religion or not. So. That's cool. Ahead,
1: you got
2: that's that's the comfortable position.
0: <laughs> that, that is a fair statement to make. And, and it, it may be comfortable. Um, and that's why we do it. Uh, I mean, that's why I still you know, have a religious aspect of my life, that there is a comfort to it. There is a sort of feeling of being at home with it. Um, does it have to be tangible? Does it have to be meaningful? Does it have to be even genuinely real? It, no, it's, it doesn't have to be objectively real. It's real enough to me... Personally, uh, within my, the the substrates of my mind, that it, yes, I I, I do find a connection with it. Um, but do I have questions? Do I have you know doubts? Um, do I do I want to know more? Or wish I there was more. Absolutely, I think everybody does.
1: So um, I I'll just go ahead and do like uh, make my argument for the ancient alien theory in my closing remarks here, Joe. So. So, uh, I mean, we're all cops here, and we all know what evidence is and by preponderance of evidence and so how we you know, solve our crimes and how we find or establish probable cause to arrest our subject and see who committed the crime. So, um, so we were given a brain to think, um, same as using our you know, uh, voice box by discovering how to modulate sound into, into words to eventually you know, creating language then you know we learned to transform or transfer that into written word um, and this is what's unique about humanity and you know the homo sapiens species now we just like came uh you know just developed all of these these things the musical talents the artistic abilities and you know um the writing and having um, uh, taste buds and and we created the uh the uh, recipes and we've, we we known how to you know, make wheat to make beer or to grow wheat to make beer. And we look at these Sumerians, these ancient Sumerians and the Babylonians, they all have these, these tablets that show this half, like humans are only half the size of this being that's sitting on this wheel, chariot or whatever. And he's like handing the plow to the being. And uh, that's like, that's their God. And that's them showing or documenting that this is where they receive their, the, you know, their knowledge. And then, uh, you know, all, all of this is all in a short amount of time on that evolutionary timeline that I was talking about earlier. And when you look at the Homo sapiens species, um, if, if, if you look at the primates and you look at Homo sapiens, um, they had their heads, you know, resting on shoulders, but here we are with long necks, you know, if you look at some females and they have these long necks, you know, it, Um, To me, they look like aliens. I think humans are aliens, hybrids in some way. Um, And we have hair on our front. Primates have fur on the back. You know, we have mutation of the eye colors. Um, We have lower back problems because, you know, we we walk upright. Um, Our babies, human babies, can't survive without the mother, you know, for for so long. Um, And it, it comes down to there being a missing link. I think we can all agree that there is a missing link uh between our species and the primates so to the religious minded there is no such thing because you know god created humans separate from the apes and monkeys right so to the atheist slash the evolutionist it's it's there um but we just have you know we we just haven't discovered those 30 cousins or so yet to show that transition that will fill in that gap which we talked about earlier now the ancient alien theory says there is no transition and that it's a transformation, and that the missing link is alien DNA, which provides the most explanation to the questions we we have about our origin so far, is what I think. Now, to the evolutionists, I mean, I would argue that if we are a direct descendant from the primates, then why do we have 46 chromosomes, but primates have 48? Like, how did we lose those two chromosomes? And how come our strength can't even compare to theirs? Uh, their bone structure is considerably larger and stronger than ours. Um, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, their bones are like, you know, broom, uh, broomsticks to us. Like our bones are like broomsticks and theirs are like, you know, shovel and, uh, handles. Um, you know, why did we develop a, a voice box and learn how to change sounds into words for communication? Why, why are their heads resting on their shoulders? Why are, why ours are elevated on a long neck? Um, why do we have, so many knee knees and back issues. Why do humans create unnatural things like planes, ships, buildings, automobiles, medicine, rockets, submarines, and spaceships? I mean, the list goes on. Why, you know, um, uh, w- what evolutionists, I think, need to understand is that, you know, a shark will always be a shark. It's not going to one day turn into a dolphin, nor grow legs in two million years from now and turn into a crocodile. And Homo sapiens will always be us, unless another intervention is due, and we get an upgrade by ourselves or by our creators when they return. Possible, uh, which proves that the process of evolution takes millions of years. Since the Homo, uh, homo sapiens species began appearing around eight, or the Homo species began appearing around eight million years ago, um, they never advanced at all and stayed as hunter-gatherers for millions of years until boom. Homo sapiens arrive out of nowhere, uh, having these artistic abilities and musical talents, and agriculture, mathematics of trigonometry, calculus, algebra, you know, to build high monuments and steel ships, airplanes, and the pyramids.
0: So we're going to give the grand finale comment to you, Ryan. Uh, that's a that was a big chunk of information to digest there, but uh, we're going to wrap it up with giving you the the, the final comments.
2: Well. Well, Laurie, I I love you like a brother, bro. So (laughs) I, you know, we always talk about this. uh, How how do you word it like this? This overnight change, right? You know, look at, look at our great country, uh, United States of America Uh, was founded about almost We're we're coming on our 250 years of being existent. 250 years is, is an overnight um, thing, you know, and we were, we, they showed up in wooden ships with no electricity and, and no communication skills. And look at this, 250 years, just 250 years, we've evolved into basic cyborgs. We, we can communicate across the oceans tonight. We are, we, we're walking around with phones and with more knowledge in our pockets than, than most cities in, in the world would have you know, 250 years ago. And so people would think that our, our artificial intelligence that we're creating now would be some massive leap and so why didn't the aliens intervene with us now it's only been 250 years since america was born and so we can we could you could talk about those things but what that is what that is guys is is the loss of knowledge the lack of knowledge that we've lost over over centuries of time libraries have been burned down collection knowledges have been destroyed and we've, we've we've lost that and so we don't understand that and so in my closing thoughts is this. I think that it's important. If I had something to share tonight, that it's okay not to know. And it's okay to, when you learn something new, to change your mind and make a new decision. And I think that's the important thing, is that when we learn new knowledge, to accept it and change our minds and be willing to be open to that. Um, yeah.
0: And that is going to wrap it up for today. Maybe we can get together again for another episode um so like with every topic we cover on this show uh, it is up to you the audience to draw your own conclusions about what was presented uh, but this was a, definitely an, an awesome debate an awesome discussion and one I'm sure that many people out there have had with others uh, at some point or another uh, these are probably the most profound questions that we can ask uh, about where the universe came from about what happens to us after we die if we have a, a soul, and if there is a God, and answers to them, meaning absolute answers with undeniable proof, uh, always seem to elude us. Uh, none of this stuff is superficial. It requires us to give uh, deeply uh, pondered thoughts, and it gives give considerable research.
1: Yeah, no, I I I, I totally agree. It's uh, it's very hard to prove um you know any of this stuff. But like I said, we have to go by the preponderance of the evidence and you know, what, what, where does that lead us? And, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed tonight's discussion. It was a lot of fun and, uh, learned a lot. And, uh, you know, we're continuing to grow right, Joe, Ryan.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So thank you, Ryan. It it was truly a pleasure to be able to share this discussion with you and to listen to your insight. Uh, you've certainly given all of us some real food for thought and some real substantial concepts to mull over in our minds. So it was, it's great to have you here with us to to give us another uh, perspective on the subject. Which is something we always welcome here on the show. It's, it's always a privilege.
2: Hey, uh, it's, it's. I'm very honored that you guys had me back. I, I think you guys are doing a great thing here, and I hope that I can visit you in the future.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And uh, you know, next episode we'll start a new season, uh, which will begin with uh, exploring some of the enshrouded secrets of the Vatican. <laughs> I guess you can say this is a sort of ironic transition here, going from talking about atheism to talking about the one place that is probably the most religiously revered on earth uh, a little bit of a twist in our theme don't you think laurie
1: yeah but i think ryan had alluded to it uh earlier and uh, when he talked about the uh the vatican having you know these books and stuff that have been in you know for lost knowledge um so yeah we're gonna on the next episode we're gonna elaborate a little more on all of that and we're going to talk about that uh, vatican ufo that was seen that light ball that was seen above the Vatican and just ascended rather uh, rapidly down to the top of it or somewhere around it and then shot back up again this happened several years ago I believe Um, but you know we're going to bring up the topic of you know what what does the Vatican have that's hidden in those archives you know do they have um, some of these lost books that have been saved in the libraries of Alexandria do they have blueprints of the pyramids that they're not sharing with the world do they have you know when uh you know uh, cortez and the conquistadors went over and you know they burned up all of the the aztecs knowledge you know that was that was a lot of lost knowledge there you know could they have saved some of that stuff with the building of the you know the pyramids of the you know teocon and um and, and all of that so well joe and i are going to delve deeply into that on the next topic so
0: yeah, it should be very interesting. I mean, the Vatican and, you know, indeed the uh, Roman Catholic Church has almost become synonymous with uh, clandestine, um, you know, mystery and, and secrets uh, that are kept there. Uh, so it should be a very interesting show. Um, please check us out on our website. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook and uh, check out our social media links. Um, you feel free to send us any emails that are, the email is on our link uh, on the website. Uh, give us any of uh, the, Questions you have about today's show, any suggestions for future shows, any comments you have. We're always uh, welcoming of any input, and uh, we look forward to talking to some of you guys out there if you want to send us uh, your comments. Uh, So we'll be with you again in two weeks. Until then, uh, stay curious. Bye, everyone.